Allegedly, they managed to actually summon, open the door to hell, and summon a demon. Neighbors claimed they practice witchcraft. Exorcism, the casting out of demons through ritual prayer. I was bearing bodies out in the desert. And yes, the ghosts were there with us. Welcome back to the Haunted Heart Podcast, folks. We are your hosts, Kenny. That's me. And some bitch. <laughs> that's her. <laughs> Otherwise known as Katie, one name like Prince. Katie, one name like Prince. Mm-hmm. Love that. One day I'm going to shorten it to a symbol, although that probably wouldn't be very conducive for a sound-based medium. Probably not. Maybe it would just be like a like a sound, like a... Someone, That's my name. someone at work today sent me a message and they said, hey, K. And I'm like, uh, and they just, mm-mm. and literally just the word, just the letter K. And I'm I like, mm. and I called it out too. I was like, did you really just call me K? Mm-hmm. Quickest way to make this man angry is to shorten his name. <laughs> and the shorter you make it, the angrier he gets, you know? Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, With the exception of Kenny, because that's all that is somewhat shortened. But it's not so shortened. No, Kenny's um, fine. It's but just, when we dip down to like three mm, letters and below, he really he really blacks out. Don't that's a that's a curse word. Honestly, I'm I'm not I'm not going to say. People at work are so bad about that. Like random like people that message me at work, like they just that's what they just they start out with is the three letter word, and I'm like, hmm, you're really getting off on the wrong foot. What the three letter ass? <laughs> Dear ass. <laughs> Hey, ass. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, <laughs> to I would ass prefer it may that. pertain. Yeah. <laughs> to ass yeah. it may concern. Best wishes. <laughs> warm regards, ass. I could Absolutely. see that. I could certainly see that. It's a whole vibe. Very true. Very true. But we're back again. We missed you guys. We're here. And we we're not going to make any gonna... promises because every time we make a promise, like one of our lives falls apart. And, um, you know, I've been on the short end of the stick, so I'm not gonna, I'm not That's gonna true. promise you shit, baby. That's I will true. see you when I see you, yeah. and I'm hoping I'm gonna see you on Wednesdays. <laughs> and we'll just leave it at that. We'll just leave it unspoken, because otherwise, if the universe gets tipped off that a, a girl's trying to get back on her bullshit, uh huh. You just have to end it. So we, we should just over. we should just change the sign off to be like, see you when, <laughs> see you when. <laughs> <laughs> Just give it that real extra southern bit of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. flair there. See you win. True, true. <laughs> we are heading into spooky season, though, although it doesn't feel like it. It's about a million degrees here, and it feels like the consistency of a clam chowder outside. It is very hot and soupy and thick, mm-hmm. uh, none of which is good for two huskies like us. So we're just trying to live and make it to October, but we do have our our pumpkin things back. They're beginning to trickle back Amen. in. Amen. I've got a lovely pumpkin cold brew here. Yes, and I have uh, the new apple crisp macchiato from the 
mermaid. They don't pay us. No. <laughs> nope. From the mermaid. They don't fucking pay us. Although, if they did, if I was on payroll, I would have them change the mermaid, uh, like, siren logo into, like, a more accurate representation of the mythical siren mm-hmm. for Halloween. I feel like that would be cool as fuck. Um, Absolutely. And, and really spooky, but... Um, you remember when Starbucks used to... And there I go, just... Start. Damn it. <laughs> they don't pay us, Kenny. How do, do you, you ever expect they... to get sponsors on this show that we disappear from for months at a time? You no? Do you remember? Uh, like they used to do those, um, like fun October, like Halloween drinks. Yeah, like, like the Frankenstein drink. And I know, I know they the zombie drink. Me. Like where is that? They truly disappoint me. But I will say that the pumpkin cold brew that I'm sipping on is mighty good. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> In the show now. Um. We're so done. yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna go ahead and drink that, and uh, if anybody has a problem with it, much like our ASMR episode from way, 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 way back in the day, just don't. Yeah, I suggest that you don't. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't do that. Uh, which, well, by the way, that actually, well, that was something that we put on Patreon. Which, speaking of Patreon, we do have a patron. <laughs> we do, <laughs> we do, we God do. Bless you. Damn. Uh. It, yeah. Wow. We have the best patrons. They just hang. They just hanging in. I mean, bless you. Fate and bless every one of you. Bless you. We love you. But we do. So, uh, for those of you who may be new, when we receive, if a you're new, new patron, I'm sorry. Find another. Like maybe. Oh. Maybe get some context if you're new on this one. Like. I, yeah, I have someone message me and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I just started your podcast today." Seems really great. I'm starting with episode one and I'm like, oh. yeah, people do that. People. I mean, it's it's OK to start a podcast with like the recent episodes. And I understand that that is a uh, the term recent is a questionable term here at the Haunted Heart podcast. Yeah. But it is OK to like start listening from like when we actually got like sound recording equipment instead of recording on potatoes. Um, <laughs> like that's OK. You're not missing much, I feel. But. I don't know. There's there's a bunch of OGs in our Facebook group who are like hardcore about those old episodes. They are very Bless much so. Them. Uh, so we would like to welcome to our round table here. Is it round or square? It's very square. Square. It's painfully square. Painfully square. But there's a spot for everybody. <laughs> so we would like to welcome to our table Justin W who is a member of our trash talent aficionado. Ooh, very trash. The trash. All right, Justin, your candle will be lit beside us throughout the rest of this episode, but forever and always in the darkest parts of our hearts. The darkest, the dankest, the soupiest. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh. yes. Thank you to Justin and the rest of our Patreon supporters. We really appreciate you guys. And if you would like to support us, you can find us online at patreon.com slash the haunted heart. And you will find our back catalog of Patreon exclusive content, as well as all the different cool tiers. You too can be a trash talent aficionado. aficionado. Or a member of our haunted heart harem. 
mm-hmm. or a stay spooky squad member or a cannibal cult. Cannibal cult's really popular. It is very popular. A lot of y'all are hungry. So many cannibals. Mm-hmm. Y'all just love chewing on a bone. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's well, the show. Are we, we, we're good. Do we go home now? Yeah, like, I think are so. We... I think I can uh, unplug the mics now. Cool. Like, we, we, we lit the we're stage. Done. We did that. We did the sound check. Did the sound uh, check. We lit yes, the candle. Lit the candle. And then we can head out now, right? We're done. That's, um, that's it. That's wrap. Oh, are we supposed to? Is there something else we do? I think it's been I, a while. I, I think I, I, well, I don't know about you. I don't think there's anything I'm doing, <laughs> which, you know. Oh, shit. Was there. I supposed to have something for you? Are. You are. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had homework. Yeah. You kind of did, you know. But yeah. I think, I think it's your turn, right? Yeah. I believe so. I think it's my turn to just sit back, fucking relax, and uh, drink my damn drink, mm-hmm. and be told a story. A story. A story with everybody else. So everybody else listening, I'm leaned back with y'all. Whatever y'all are doing, I'm with you. <laughs> so just remember that, okay? If you're cleaning the toilet right now, he's cleaning the toilet right I'm, now. I'm standing if right over If you're at your job, clickety-clacking on your computer, getting things done, he's right there with you, babe. Absolutely. If you're driving through traffic, raging, he's with you. I'm with you right he's there. He's with you. Um, and I'm here to keep you company. Luckily, I am a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the macabre. <laughs> An encyclopedia, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just a, just a bunch of useless information. Um, no, I do, I do have a story prepared for you. And it actually is kind of, so it's something that's kind of been on the list for a while. Um, this is a big one. I would be surprised if, I, I wouldn't necessarily call this like a, like a heavy hitter in the way that a Ted Bundy or a John Wayne Gacy is. But this is certainly one of those cases. If you've been in the true crime space for any amount of time, you have probably heard this story. Um, you've probably heard this case referenced. And it is a really interesting case. So we're going to talk about Mary Bell. Who? Mary Bell. Have you heard of Mary Bell? Is that like she related to Blue Bell? She <laughs> I swear to God, I, I just knew you were going to look at me and be like, is she related to Taco Bell? <laughs> no, I was thinking, I was thinking Blue Bell, like the ice cream. No, um, neither, actually, and way less fun than both. Mary Bell, this is why I love doing the show with you, because Mary Bell is like one of those figures in true crime that um, it's one of those perplexing cases. It is haunting, but also... Question mark. <laughs> uh, no, definitely haunting, but also kind of sad. And you'll kind of discover why as we. Great. Begin. So I can expect to be haunted and sad at the end of this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Yes. I'm going to tell you what, it's a level up from my uh, usual mood anyway. So. <laughs> I mean, that's most of our episodes. though. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> All right. So on Saturday, May 11th, 1968, a three-year-old boy was discovered wandering, dazed and bleeding in the vicinity of St. Margaret's Road, Scottswood. The child later informed police that he had been playing with two girls on the roof of an abandoned air raid shelter when one of the girls, I mean, which, by the way, fucking metal. Um, (laughs) So they were playing on the top of this air raid shelter when one of the girls, the child was unsure which one exactly pushed him seven feet from the roof onto the ground, inflicting a severe laceration to his head. 
That same afternoon, the parents of three small girls also contacted police to complain that the same two girls, named Mary and Norma, had attempted to strangle their children as they played in a sand pit. Damn. Later that evening, both girls were interviewed about these incidents. Both denied any culpability for the air raid shelter incident, claiming that they had simply discovered the boy, bleeding heavily from a head wound after he had fallen. Further questioned about the attempted strangulation of the three girls, Mary denied any knowledge of the incident. However, Norma admitted that Mary had tried to, quote, throttle each of the girls, stating, quote, Mary went to one of the girls and said, what happens if you choke someone? Do they die? Then Mary put both hands around the girl's throat and squeezed. The girl started to go purple. I told Mary to stop, but she wouldn't. Then she put her hands around Pauline's throat and she started going purple as well. Another girl, Susan Cornish, came up and Mary did the same thing to her. End quote. Oh, no. I imagine it went like this. Like, they're like, did you do this? And she's like, absolutely not. I found him bleeding. Mm -hmm. And she's like giving that dead stare. You know, how you frequently just find three-year-olds that have fallen off of air raid shelter. No, he just, he he fell. I, I don't know. I found him like that, officer. I don't know. And then she's like, the little kid's like behind the officer and then like. He, she's just like looking past him, like say a Staring. damn thing. Oh yeah, yeah. She was definitely a stare. I just want to know what kind of dystopian universe we're living in in the late sixties, where our children in the UK are are playing on the top of air raid shelters for, left over from World War II. Like, yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. Yikes. Uh. So yeah. So that was Norma's little interview. So Norma snitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one could say that it certainly would seem to be that way would it i not? feel like mary don't like snitches <laughs> i'm just saying i don't know i don't want to you know give away anything here i don't know nothing about this case but mary just seems like she's the one where she takes that you know snitches get stitches to like a real level that you just don't want to <laughs> a fuck real with. level <laughs> looked at look at that little boy he already got stitches and he mm-hmm. didn't even snitch mm-hmm. he was just there mm-hmm So police notified the local authority of the incidents and of Mary's violent nature. But due to their age, both girls were simply given a warning. No further action was taken. What about their parents? Who did they know? Did they notify the parents? Like, were they like, hey, you're. you're, Yeah, probably. Probably because they interviewed. She's a little. We watch (laughs) them. Well, the parents in this story probably aren't the ones to rely on. Oh, Um, okay. Let's talk a little bit about Mary Bell's history, shall we? We shall. So Mary's mother, Elizabeth Betty Bell, was a well-known local prostitute who was (laughs) often absent from home, frequently traveling to Glasgow to work and simply leaving her children in the care of their father, if he was present. Oh. Mary was Betty's second child, born when Betty herself was only 17 years old. The identity of Mary's biological father is unknown. It's speculated that he could have been one of Betty's anonymous clients. For most of her life, Mary believed her father to be William Billy Bell, a violent drunkard and habitual criminal with an arrest record for crimes, including armed robbery. However, Mary was already a small toddler when William Bell married her mother, and it is unknown if he is her actual biological father. Mary was an unwanted and neglected child. According to her aunt, Issa McCricket, within minutes of Mary's birth, her mother had resented hospital staff attempting to place her daughter in her arms, shouting, take the thing away from me. Damn. 
As a baby, toddler, and young child, Mary frequently suffered injuries and household accidents while alone with her mother, which led her family to believe that either her mother was deliberately negligent or intentionally attempting to harm or kill her daughter. On one occasion in about 1960, when Mary was only three years old, Betty dropped her daughter from a first floor window. On another occasion, she dosed her daughter with sleeping pills to keep her quiet. She's also known to have once sold Mary to a mentally unstable woman who was unable to have children of her own, resulting in Betty's older sister, Catherine, having to travel alone across Newcastle to reclaim Mary from this individual and return the child to her mother's home on White House Road. Jesus Christ. Despite her blatant negligence and abuse of her child, Mary's mother refused repeated offers from her family to take custody of her daughter whom Betty, as a dominatrix, is alleged to have begun allowing and or encouraging several of her clients to also sexually abuse in sadomasochistic sessions by the mid-60s. Keeping in mind that in the mid-60s, Mary would have been 10-ish. Not surprisingly, both at home and at school, Mary exhibited numerous signs of disturbed and unpredictable behavior, including sudden mood swings and chronic bedwetting. She's known to have frequently fought with other children, both boys and girls, and to have attempted to strangle or suffocate her classmates or playmates on several occasions. On one such occasion, she is known to have attempted to block the trachea of a young girl with sand. This violent behavior made many children reluctant to socialize with Mary who would frequently spend her free time with Norma Joyce Bell, the 13-year-old daughter of a next-door neighbor. And although Norma and Mary have the same last name, they weren't related. They're not related? Mm -mm. But isn't that funny? I mean, they were kind of giving me, I thought that they were kind of giving me like, you know, shining twin sister vibes. Very much that vibe, but they're not related. Interesting. Okay. According to one classmate at DeLaval Road Junior School, by 1968, Mary and her peers had become accustomed to the sudden and marked changes in Mary's behavior. And when she began exhibiting distressful mannerisms, including shaking her head and forming a steely gaze, her peers instinctively knew she was headed towards violence, with the focus of her stare being the individual she would attack. You know what? People could have said the same thing about me. (laughs) Truly. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes that happens to me still to this day. Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of lose yourself. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but on a real, like, you can't, like, I mean, given her history at home, God, that's that's tough. Because, I mean, clearly, like, there is a relation there to, yeah. Yeah. to her home history and then, like, her mental stability yeah. as she gets older. And we can kind of talk about that in, like, in, like, our wrap-up of this case. I know a lot of times, like, not to get too far into it now, but I know a lot of times I'm I'm very skeptical of tragic backstories because if you research true crime enough, if you look at enough cases, I mean, we've been doing this a while, you really, a lot of times that information is coming from the killer themselves, mm-hmm. and you kind of need to take it with a grain of salt, right? Like, you know, yeah. BTK was a piece of shit, but he'll tell you he had a tragic backstory. Ted Bundy will tell you the whole thing was about porn and porn turned him into, and, you know, violence in the, the American cinema and on TV turned him into this monster. It did not. Ted Bundy was a monster. 
was a monster. Was a monster. It it didn't have anything to do with porn. And although it's interesting to kind of look at how those things intersect, you have to take it with a grain of salt. This case, though, we're dealing with a 10-year-old. Yeah. You know? And even though a lot of those allegations of the dominatrix stuff come from Mary herself, the negligence was documented in other ways. And, you know, it's not so much of a stretch to believe that if there's extreme negligence and abuse of that level, for me, it's not that big of a jump. And it's a little bit more believable than some of the tragic backstories that murderers try to feed us, you know? And, and, and two, you know, you have violence. Um, There is some history of violence towards animals with Mary, um, or at least alleged violence towards animals. And you have the bedwetting, the McDonald triad. If you guys have, we've talked about that on the show before. So I think there, the signs are there. I'm not a child psychologist or anything, but the signs are there that Mary was pretty significantly abused. So that's why I said it's sad too. Yeah. Anywho. So we have this incident that happens in early May and it kind of just blows over, which is weird that a three-year-old was found bleeding from the head and wandering around and we just let that go. It's strange. It's just a little strange. So on, uh, you know, a couple weeks later on May 25th, 1968, the day before her 11th birthday, Mary Bell was to commit the first of two murders for which she would become infamous. At some point early in the day, Mary strangled a four-year-old Martin Brown in an upstairs bedroom of a derelict house located at 85 St. Margaret's Road. She is believed to have committed the deed alone. Brown's body was discovered by three children at approximately 3.30 p.m. He lay on his back with his arms stretched above his head, and aside from specks of blood and foam around his mouth, no signs of violence were visible on his body. A local workman named John Hall soon arrived on the scene. He attempted to perform CPR, but to no avail. Martin Brown was long gone. As Hall attempted CPR, Mary and Norma appeared in the doorway. Both girls were quickly shooed out of the house, and they subsequently knocked on the door of Martin's aunt, Miss Rita Finlay, and informed her matter-of-factly, quote, one of your sister's bairns has just had an accident. We think it's Martin, but we can't tell because there's blood all over him, end quote. And how old did you say she was at this point? Uh, Ten, just about. It's the day before her 11th birthday. Day before her 11th birthday, okay. The following day, Dr. Bernard Knight conducted a postmortem on Martin's body. Knight was unable to find any signs of violence on the child's body and thus was unable to determine his cause of death, although he was able to discount the investigator's theory that the child had died of poisoning through ingesting tablets. An inquest on June 7th returned an open verdict. So basically they have no cause, no definitive cause of death. The next day on, uh, or actually later that day, it's Mary's 11th birthday, she and Norma broke into and vandalized a nursery in the nearby community of Woodland Crescent. Woodland Crescent. Which just sounds uptight. Yeah. Woodland Crescent. Woodland Crescent. The story's in the UK, by the way, so I'm like fighting the urge to like put on a, a thick accent and offend don't all of our UK, don't listeners. Our, our UK listeners. Our UK listeners. They're like, <laughs> no, God, please don't. Don't do that to us. So for Mary's birthday, she and Norma decide to break into and vandalize this nursery. 
They entered the nursery by peeling tiles off the slate roof. And then once they were inside, they started tearing up books, upturning desks, and smearing ink and craft paint all around the property before escaping. The day after, staff discovered the break-in and vandalism and immediately notified the police, who also discovered four separate notes, which claimed responsibility for Martin Brown's murder. One of these notes read, quote, I murder so that I may come back, end quote. Uh-uh. Another read, and there's a lot of mis- misspellings here, but I'm just going to read what I think they wrote. Quote, we did murder Martin Brown. Fuck off, you bastard. A third note simply read, quote, fuck off, we murder. Watch out, Fanny and Faggot. Oh. The final note was the most complex, reading, quote, you are mice. Why? Because we murdered Martin, Martin Brown. You better look out. There are murders about by Fanny and old faggot. You screws. End quote. Fuck. What kind of like UK slang is that? Well, yeah, it is very, it's very UK slang. So UK people, explain. <laughs> Translate. Well, I was going to tell you what it meant, but I think I'd love for the Facebook group, for the UK folks in the Facebook group to tell you what uh, slang for Fanny is. Um, I well, so maybe I I'm just going to let We're it, just going to let, let it. Let, just, just. I will say that after you know what Fanny means, you will never approach a fanny pack the same. Oh. Um, so I'll just let you just let that another one, that one's screws was simmer. another one, right? You screws. I mean, I think that means like you, you, you degenerative you, term. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, just a you regular. Yeah. Okay. And I think faggot meant cigarette in the sixties. So I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure about that one. Anyway. Oh. Uh, I mean, it, it also means cigarette now, because like sometimes they'll say, like, have you got a spare fag? Yeah. And that's yeah. like short. It's just faggot, weird in that cigarette. context. Like definitely. Because like we're like, you drop that in America and you're like, I'm nope. like, I'll fucking I don't give a shit if you are ten years Time old, to go bitch. Ham. I'm on, I'm on <laughs> <laughs> ten turning eleven, bitch. Okay. You about to take these yeah. ten ha- you about to take these ten <laughs> fiery fingers <laughs> right now and then another one to grow on. Cause we about uh, to throw down. I don't give a shit. Where are you getting the eleventh one from? Ten. You gonna borrow it? Ten. <laughs> you gonna get ten. You gonna catch these ten digits, uh-huh, right? Uh huh. And then you gonna get well. Where's the one to grow on coming guess. from? I guess it would be. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think you'd get like another slap uh-huh. as like the additional for like the one, but like that would be gift. that would be five. That would be five with the way. You Unless I just like poked her really and just like. <laughs> Sternly in the just shoulder. Just like poked her really mm. hard in the shoulder. Just like, do better. Bitch. <laughs> oh, so basically <laughs> we have this whole uh, nursery vandalization, um, which the police, we find these notes and the police just kind of dismiss this incident as a tasteless and childish prank. <laughs> this is a, ta- and and that's exactly what they said. Yes. This is a tasteless and childless, childless? Childish. 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 <laughs> This is a tasteless and childish prank. Okay. Right. We're we're talking about murder, though, but that's fine. Yeah. So it seemed Mary and Norma weren't done making a spectacle. Two days later, on May 29th, shortly before the funeral of Martin Brown in a game of chicken, both girls called upon the house of Martin's mother, June, asking to see her son. When June Brown replied that they couldn't see her son because he was deceased— 
Mary replied, quote, Oh, I know he's dead. I want to see him in his coffin. End quote. Hmm. That strikes a nerve with me. Hard to defend. That strikes a nerve with me. Yeah. But keep in mind, you, you, you're dealing with, at this point, an 11-year-old. And this is very, like, she's very messy, right? We have this nursery vandalization. There are notes that are left everywhere. She's saying things like that to Martin's mother. They paid a visit to that other boy's aunt. It's very not well thought out, which is what we see in a lot of cases where you have a child um, perpetrating murder. They're, they are very messy, particularly teenagers and crimes of passion with teenagers. They're so messy. Yeah. There's no, you know, they don't, you, you don't have like the teenage mastermind uh, who like murders somebody and hides it perfectly. And that doesn't really exist. I mean, I'm sure that there are cases here and there. If you know of those cases, I would love to, I would love to see them. The Haunted Heart Podcast at gmail.com. But off the top of my head, like, I can't really think of an example of that because typically what you see in cases that involve children as the perpetrator, it is messy like this. It is obvious. And there are, you know, these things that are happening and the police just kind of seem to be shrugging things off. But it does come together fairly quickly. I feel like it should have come together quicker, but hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Yeah. So despite Mary's extremely abhorrent behavior, the police did not consider her a suspect in the murder of Martin Brown. Left to her own devices and seemingly free of any consequences for her violent actions, though, it was only a matter of time before Mary killed again. Well, I'm assuming she had the, uh, that uh, cloak of like, oh, it wouldn't be right. not her, yeah. not a not a 11-year-old girl. Right. Like, there's no way in the world that she would do that. So I'm pretty sure she probably felt a little powerful in that sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. nobody's going to suspect me, right? Yeah. yeah. And and it was true. I mean, you know, this is the 60s. Everybody's less jaded. Mm. I don't know. But they don't, they don't immediately jump to, oh, it must have been this 11-year-old girl, right? Because this was a huge case of like, how could this happen? Right? Try that shit in 2021, bitch. That's the first one I'm going to. <laughs> it was We've had the too child. many orphan-themed movies. It was the child. Uh-huh. I have, there are several, I, I, yes, children are the first ones that I was. Are you suspect. keeping a list? Uh, were you about to say there are several children that, that I, yeah, I just, capable? I side-eye. Yes, I absolutely do. Oh, God. I think you side-eye everybody. True. So, on the afternoon of July 31st, about two months, two and a half months after. A three-year-old named Brian Howe was last seen by his parents in the street outside his house playing with one of his siblings and the family dog. And Mary and Norma fell. Trouble. When Brian did not return home later that afternoon, concerned relatives and neighbors searched the streets without success. Shortly after 11 p.m., a search party discovered Brian's body between two large concrete blocks. The first policeman to arrive at the scene observed that a deliberate but feeble attempt had been made to conceal the body, which was covered in clumps of grass and weeds. Cyanosis was evident upon the child's bluish-colored lips, and several bruises and scratches were evident upon his neck. A pair of broken scissors lay close to his feet. The coroner would later conclude that Brian Howe had died of strangulation and that he had been deceased for up to seven and a half hours prior to the discovery of his body. The killer had evidently squeezed Brian's nostrils closed with one hand as he or she 
had gripped his throat with the other. Numerous puncture wounds had been inflicted to the child's legs before death. Sections of his hair had been cut from his head. His genitals had been partially mutilated. And a crude attempt had been made to carve the initial M into his stomach. The relatively small amount of force used to murder the child led the coroner to conclude the murderer was more than likely another child. Hmm. Okay. Numerous gray and maroon fibers were discovered upon Brian's clothing and shoes. Now, these fibers did not source from any clothing within the Howe household. Police therefore concluded that they had been transferred to the child by his murderer or murderers. So, so bits of her hair got onto him is what they well, were saying. Well, these fibers, right? fibers, these, these gray it... and maroon colored fibers oh, okay. are on his body. And they didn't match anything that was in the Howe household. Fibers were like a big thing for a while, like heading into the 70s. Like we were all looking for it from the 70s to like the 90s before we got into like DNA and all that. Like we fibers were like, they're a big like thing. I'm really into fibers right now. <laughs> now I think they're actually inadmissible. Um, I, I don't know if they're inadmissible, but they're not considered as like, probably conclusive as concrete, evidence. Right? Yeah. It could honestly right. come from every from anywhere. So. The discovery of Brian Howe's body sparked a large-scale manhunt. Over 100 detectives were assigned to the investigation, and more than 1,200 children had been questioned with regards to their whereabouts by August 2nd. On August 1st, detectives questioned Mary and Norma Bell, whom witnesses had already informed investigators had been seen playing with Brian shortly before he was believed to have died. In her initial interview, Norma seemed excitable whereas Mary was markedly more observant and reserved. Although both girls were evasive and contradictory in their initial statements, they freely admitted to having played with Brian on the date of his death, but denied having seen him after lunchtime. Questioned further the following day, Mary stated that she remembered seeing an eight-year-old local boy playing with Brian on the afternoon of July 31st, and that she had also seen him hitting the child. Furthermore, she stated that she also remembered that the boy had been covered in grass and weeds as if he'd been rolling in a field, and that he had in his possession a small pair of scissors. Mary then expounded, quote, I saw him trying to cut a cat's tail off with the scissors, but there was something wrong with them. One leg was broken or bent, end quote. This self-incriminating statement convinced Detective Chief Inspector James Dobson that Mary was the actual killer. Uh-huh, I was thinking that too. You played yourself. As only the police knew about the broken scissors found at the crime scene. <laughs> In addition, the local boy she named was quickly questioned and was discovered to have been at Newcastle International Airport on the afternoon of July 31st, with numerous witnesses able to corroborate his parents' claims. Oh. So on the afternoon of August 4th, the parents of Norma Bell contacted the police stating their daughter wished to confess what she knew of the death of Brian Howe. Inspector Dobson arrived at their home, formally cautioned Norma, and then asked what she knew. Norma informed Dobson that Mary had taken her to see Brian's body before its discovery by the search party. Mary had then demonstrated to her how she strangled the child. According to Norma, Mary had confessed to her that she had enjoyed strangling the child, before describing how she had inflicted the scour marks to his stomach with a razor blade, which had been hidden at the crime scene, and the broken scissors. 
Norma then led police to the crime scene and revealed the location where the razor blade was hidden. A drawing Norma made of the wounds inflicted to the boy's abdomen precisely matched those described by the coroner. Mary Bell was visited at her home in the early hours of August 5th, the following day. On this occasion, she was notably defensive when confronted with the discrepancies in her previous statement. She informed detectives, quote, you're trying to brainwash me. I will get a lawyer to get me out of this, end quote. Who? Who? You go, ma'am. You got lawyer money. <laughs> you got, yeah, it don't, uh, it don't appear that you would have, I don't think she would have Actually, lawyer money. Lawyer's a very American term. Uh, I believe in the UK it would be solicitor. A solicitor? You got solicitor coins. <laughs> you got, you got solicitor money. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think, yeah, no, that would be, uh, okay, okay, little girl. Girl, that was like my so mama. When I, I was could... 11, my mama was coming at me. I was once a Happy Meal and she would come at me asking me if I had McDonald's money. Yeah. Exactly. Mary Bell, it's you got solicitor money. You got, yeah, that's exactly what I'd be. Let put me in that situation. I'd be like, okay, all right, little girl, oh, what you got? Okay, okay, what are you gonna do? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> all right, sit your ass down. Yeah. So Mary's sort of in hot water, and the temperature is just increasing. Later that same day, on August fifth, Norma was questioned again. This time, she made a full statement in which she admitted to being present when Mary had actually strangled Brian. According to Norma, when the trio were alone, Mary seemed to go all funny, pushing the child into the grass and attempting to strangle him before stating to her, quote, my hands are getting thick, take over, end quote. Norma claimed she had then run from the scene, leaving Mary alone with Brian. That's a lying ass little girl right there. I'm gonna tell you what. It's a lying ass little bitch right there. And I'm, <laughs> I can call it right now. A forensic examination of clothing owned by both girls revealed the gray fibers upon Brian's body were a precise match to a woolen dress owned by Mary. The maroon fibers on the child's shoes were a precise match to a skirt owned by Norma. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, the same gray fibers had also been found upon the body of Martin. Brown. Uh-huh. Brian Howe was buried in a local cemetery on August 7th, 1968, in a ceremony attended by over 200 people. According to Detective Chief Inspector Dobson, who had planned to arrest both girls later that day, Mary Bell stood outside the Howe household as the child's coffin was brought from the home at the beginning of the funeral procession. Dobson later stated, quote, she stood there laughing laughing and rubbing her hands. I thought, my God, I've got to bring her in. She'll do another one. Why hadn't she been brought in at that point? I don't know, because like y'all first started seriously, <laughs> like y'all got a confession from a so-called accomplice on like August 4th, and y'all hadn't arrested this girl on August 7th. Y'all gonna wait till the funeral's over to arrest her? Like maybe it was like a courtesy thing, but I, I mean, I feel like you probably ought to just go get her. Right, and why is she even there anyway? I'm who like, let, I'm get her. Like, who let, who <laughs> let her in? The fuck, yeah. who the fuck invited you? Yeah. Nasty little girl. Very, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So both girls were finally formally charged with the murder of Brian Howe at 8 p.m. that evening following the funeral. In response to this charge, Mary replied, that's all right by me. Norma, however, burst into tears, simply proclaiming, I never, I'll pay you back for this. Talking to Mary. I guess, I don't know. Ooh. I don't know. 
in the presence of in the presence of an independent witness, Mary prepared a written statement in which she admitted to being present when Brian Howe was murdered, but insisting the murder had been committed by Norma. She also admitted she and Norma had broken into the Woodland Crescent Nursery the day after the murder of Martin Brown, defacing the property before the two had written the four handwritten notes. Shortly after their arrest, both girls underwent psychological evaluations. The results of these tests revealed Norma was intellectually delayed and a submissive character who easily displayed emotion, whereas Mary was a bright yet cunning character prone to sudden mood swings. Occasionally, Mary was willing to talk, although she quickly became sullen, introspective, and defensive in nature. The four psychiatrists who examined Mary concluded that although not suffering from a mental disorder, she suffered from a psychopathic personality disorder. In his official report compiled for the Director of Public Prosecutions, Dr. David Westbury concluded, Mary's social techniques are primitive and take the form of automatic denial, ingratiation, manipulation, complaining, bullying, fight, flight, or violence. Huh. Which, you know, I mean, not really surprised there. Of yeah, course, you're no, I mean, not to make excuses because there are none, but your social techniques would be primitive if you don't have anyone around to teach you social techniques. Exactly. Um, Socialization is a process. It is not something that happens automatically. Yeah. But I'm still cutting my eyes at Norma, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's how, you know, I mean, you got to watch out for them quiet ones. Right? I know, because I am a quiet one. (laughs) 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 No, but I'm, I'm cutting eyes at her. Mm-hmm. At this point. So the trial of Mary and Norma Bell for the murders of Martin Brown and Brian Howe began on December 5th, 1968. Both girls pleaded not guilty to the charges. Against protests from both defense counsels, on the first day of the trial, the judge waived the defendant's right to anonymity on account of their age. As such, the media were allowed to publicize the names, ages, and photographs of both girls throughout the duration of the trial, and they definitely took advantage of that right. This case was highly publicized. It was one of those sensational cases where, you know, the media took it and they ran with it. Child murderer. I mean, it sell, I mean it's unfortunate, but it sells newspapers, right? Yeah. And they plastered it- those girls' images everywhere it's interesting though like talking about age i mean they were still 11 years old right right so like that that's crazy yeah i i think it's one of those things where i mean the two boys that were murdered were very young um even younger than the girls which is how they were over to able to overpower them and i think the public response this is sort of one of those cases that was tried in the media. And I think the the public response to the likelihood that you have two 11-year-old murderers evoked such a sentiment that, I mean, even the judge, I don't think, was immune to it because of this, you know, waiving of the, of the right to anonymity. I think that perhaps judgment may have been clouded by the horror of the crime. Yeah. And being horrified that somebody could do that at 10 or 11 years old. Because, again, you know, it takes a long time for them to be arrested. I mean, the murder of Martin Brown was not 
like it it wasn't difficult to solve, right? It was just that detectives were not looking at children because that just wasn't a thing that was part of the public consciousness. Yeah, it wasn't on their radar. Yeah, it just wasn't. I mean, they they wouldn't have even thought to con- seriously consider that an 11-year-old at that point, a 10-year-old girl could be their murderer. And so I think when that when that came out, there was kind of the tides were already quite turned against them. The trial was actually really interesting in itself, but we don't have time to get into all that here. Suffice it to say that in the end, Mary Bell was cleared of murder, but convicted of manslaughter of of both boys on the grounds of diminished responsibility. Norma Bell, on the other hand, was acquitted of all charges. Mm -mm. Upon hearing the jury's verdicts, Norma clapped her hands in excitement and Mary burst into tears as her mother and grandmother also cried over her fate. When passing the sentence, the judge described Mary as a dangerous individual, adding that she posed a very grave risk to other children and that steps must be taken to protect the public from her. She was sentenced to be detained at Her Majesty's pleasure, which basically means that she would serve an indefinite sentence of imprisonment, which apparently is a thing that you can just be detained at Her Majesty's Majesty's pleasure. Which basically means you get out when I fucking say you get out. Like I guess. who? Uh, uh, like the time queen? out. Like, you can does get the up. Queen, like <laughs> make that decision at some point. This is like some like, shit from my childhood, where my mom's just like, "You in time out? How long am I in time out? Till I say you can get up." Exactly. That's how long. At Her Majesty's oh pleasure. At Her Majesty's pleasure. Interesting. So I'm assuming that they probably. Well, for, what's the difference between like murder and manslaughter? So I'm not a lawyer, but... (laughs) Like, I'm uh, trying to understand the difference between the two. And this is also... So this is also a UK case. So there may be nuances that that I'm not getting. But I know, at least in the States, like, murder, you have to prove intention. Manslaughter is you killed a person. So, like, like, if I hit you with my car and killed you, and they couldn't prove that I intended to hit you with my car and murder you, then they could charge me with manslaughter. Because I killed you regardless. The end result is the same. Got it. So, like, if you were, like, a drunk driver, hit someone, kill them, that would be manslaughter. Right. Got right. It. Versus if you, you... see someone and you hate them and you yes. run them down. Yes. And you've been planning on doing it and you put, like, fucking crazy-ass tires on your car and shit <laughs> like that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you hide your car and you take it to a fucking car wash and all that Me shit. Me at all the bicyclists on the road yes. that take up the road and don't follow any of the... The laws, of, laws traffic. of traffic, even though they're supposed to. Yeah. I'm just kidding, though. Like, that's JK. That's so J- please don't ever use that. That's me. JK. <laughs> yeah. That's me in court. Like, if that ever happens. <laughs> that's JK. Yeah. That's JK. <laughs> yeah. So, I, but like I said, there may be nuances in UK law that I don't know. Of, like but Her like, Majesty's Pleasure. Yeah. Like, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know when her uh, Her Majesty's Pleasure will be... Suffice. Satiated. Uh, Satiated. (laughs) Yes. So, um, and I'm assuming that the rationale there is that she's so young, you can't prove intent with an 11 year old. Like you can't, like, I'm, I'm assuming that something with the psyche bows, like you can't lay out that she actually intended to take a life. That bitch wrote a note. True. But, but do they really understand the consequences of their actions? Right? Like, do they understand that this is permanent and that like, do they understand what murder is? It, it's a whole thing. 
But anyway, basically they were like, you're going to jail and you're going to stay there until we figure out what to do with you. But she was released from HM Prison Arkham Grange in May 1980. Was it really the, called Arkham? It was actually called Askham. Oh. Damn. It's like, damn. No, I'm just dyslexic. Um, Askham Ask Grange. Arkham would have been so much more badass. Fucking Batman. We just ask, ask him. him. Ask him actually is how it's ask spelled. Him. Ask, ask him. Ask him. Anyway, <laughs> May 1980, Mary is 23. She's released from prison. There is this whole side adventure, by the way, with like one of her like prison mates. That's not what they call them. Fellow inmates? Like roommates? I don't know. A friend. She and this other girl that was also up her in girlfriend. prison. <laughs> I don't know if they were dating, but they escaped prison for like a couple weeks or something. Like she basically just like went on the fucking lamb. And I was like, what the hell? I think she was like 17 or 19. But anyway, that was that was she didn't, that was she didn't kill anyone, did she? No, no. Okay. She just got out of prison, was out of prison. I think she she and the girl, I don't think they were dating because they went to meet up with Well, I meant two like guys. just like girlfriend, like friend. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I my didn't girl. mean like actual girlfriend, I mean, but like. I mean, whatever. whatever Either way. Life. Orange is the new black and all. But no, they, they met up with these two guys and went to like Glasgow, I think, to just okay. party and chill. So regardless, I mean, I feel like if that happened in the States, they're putting you back in jail and you're about to be in jail for a long time. I, I would, right? yeah, yeah. But they let her out at 23. So I guess they weren't that mad about it um, in 1980. And she served, she had served like a total of 11 and a half years in custody. She was granted anonymity, including a new name, allowing her to start a new life elsewhere in the country under an assumed identity. Upon her release, a spokesman is quoted as saying, Mary Bell wishes to be given a chance to live a normal life and to be left alone. Four years after her release from custody on May 25th, 1984, Bell gave birth to a daughter. This would prove to be her only child. Her daughter knew nothing of her mother's past until 1998, when reporters discovered Bell's then-current location in a resort town on the Sussex coast, where both of them had been living for approximately 18 months. This media revelation forced Bell and her 14-year-old daughter to leave their home and to be driven to a safe house by undercover officers. Both mother and daughter later relocated to another part of the UK. The right to anonymity granted to Bell's daughter following her birth was originally only extended until the daughter reached the age of 18. However, in 2003, Bell won a high court battle to have her own anonymity and that of her daughter extended for life. This order was later updated to include Bell's granddaughter, born in January 2009, who was referred to as Z. In 1998, Bell collaborated with author Gita Sereni, to provide an account of her life before and after her crimes for Serenity's 1998 book, Cries Unheard, The Story of Mary Bell. Within this book, Bell details the abuse she suffered as a child at the hands of her mother, whom Bell describes as a prostitute, sex worker, uh, and a dominatrix. And she alleges several of her mother's clients. Others interviewed for the book include relatives, friends, and professionals who knew Mary before, during, and after her imprisonment. Bell's current whereabouts are unknown and remain protected by the 2003 High Court order. According to Gita Sereni, Bell does not claim she was wrongfully convicted and freely admits the abuse she suffered as a child is no excuse for her strangling her two victims. 
And that, my dear, is the story of Mary Bell. Interesting. There, there haven't been any occurrences that we know of with her no. since then. She's led a pretty... She's led a very quiet life. Quiet, you know, life, I'm assuming. You know, she's got a kid and a grandkid. Mm-hmm. And they're okay. <laughs> yeah. We're um, assuming. We can only assume, I guess. Yeah, they're... Um, she the biggest thing now I think is her um anonymity that she's concerned about. And it seems that has been extended indefinitely. What about that other motherfucker? What do you mean? Norma. What happened to her? Don't know. Huh. Interesting. Don't know. I'm like trying to figure out exactly how old she would be now. I should have figured that out. She yeah, she's only sixty four, by the way. Mary Bell is only sixty four years old today. So she's not like old old. Like, this is not so long ago that, you know, that this person is, like, dead and gone or, like, super old or, right, 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 right. you know, it's not an ears situation where they're elderly. This is, she's only 64. She's yeah, fairly young. So it's interesting um, because, like, clearly, you know, the fact that, you know, you had these young lives cut short is absolutely heartbreaking and tragic and it's brutal like the way that they were you know sort of taken out of this world was extremely brutal and it's hard to get past that when you are looking at this case because you have these two 11 year old girls who you can only like you know you you want to sort of demonize them but when you look at certain situations like you said with you know their history at home and all of that it brings into question you know does situations like that, and it's different for everybody, you know, I'm assuming in, in different situations, but like, was that just something, did that just exacerbate something that was just already within her, you know what I mean, and help facilitate that and bring it to life, or, you know, or is she a product of that, you know what I mean, and it's interesting when you kind of take this situation, because if you made the argument that someone is you know, intentionally, like if they are just hardwired that way, right, to be predisposed to, you know, murder or violence. Um, and then that it just kind of grows and sort of festers depending on how they are brought up, right? From that point on, you know, she's led a pretty normal life, right? So it's like, how do you have that argument? It's just interesting. It's to nature me. versus nurture. I think, I mean, well, it's not really about what I think. It's, you know, the psychiatrist who examined Mary Bell said that there was psychopathic tendencies there, right? Psychopathic yeah. personality disorder was the diagnosis. And you're seeing, you know, with the McDonald triad, you see early signs of that as well. That points to a psychopathic uh, personality disorder. So I do think that there's some level of that that is inherent, that is scientific, that is embedded in her DNA, right? But I do think that the environment that is alleged would have also contributed in a major way. And there's a lot of evidence backing up neglect and abuse from other members of the family, both before and after the case that corroborates that story right. of, you know, her mother being this not very good person. Um, and by the way, like not to say that just because her mom was a sex worker, she's a terrible mom. There are plenty of people who are sex workers who are great moms. Um, she was a sex worker and a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, not 
a piece of shit because she was a sex worker. Like we're sex positive. But I do think that if Mary was not being, if the boundaries were not appropriate within that home, that would have had an impact on her from an early age. Yeah. What's more fascinating to me in this story really than Mary is Norma. Yeah. Because you do see it in in twos, right? In in pairs of killers, you see there's a there's a stronger personality and a weaker personality. And the weaker personality is sort of drawn in by the magnetism of the stronger personality. And then they do things supposedly that's outside of what they would normally be capable of on their own. We've seen that with um with other like paired killers. And there's actually a lot of research that has been done on that link, right? When you when you take a person who otherwise would not have been a killer and maybe they have a bit more of a, a weaker will or personality and you pair them with this strong-willed person who sort of pulls them into these situations and then they find themselves in a situation that they never would have been in on their own. I don't know. I don't think there's enough in this story about Norma's background for us to really know. And, I mean, I would posit that, is it true that Norma was a weak-willed child, that she was your normal average 11-year-old who was pulled in by Mary Bell, who, you know, had all of this psychosis happening and had that strong magnetic personality? Maybe. Is it also possible that Norma faked emotionality and faked being weaker? in order to get out of any responsibility. Yeah, so that's why I kind of questioned and side-eye that um, initially, because, you know, you see hints of that where she kind of talks about, like, oh, I wasn't there, but, you know, and then reality, she was, right? So trying to get out of it. I also think that in those situations with those paired killers, that often that more submissive one tends to be probably a little bit more manipulative, in the way that they could see that, you know, if she was with Mary and she was a stronger personality and she was the one that would have that ability to go out and murder someone if Norma felt like she could just fan that flame, so to speak. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And sort of work through her. Now, not to like, you know, completely... Like, clearly Mary has her own, you know, she's responsible and and all of that. Like, not, we're definitely going to hold her accountable, but it is interesting to think about. Because that's why I was, like, side-eyeing that little girl. Because, I mean, you, it's a little weird. It is unusual. Because, I mean, I think about, like, well, what would a normal, quote-unquote, a normal. A normal motherfucker wouldn't (laughs) have even been over there. Like, uh -uh, uh-uh, you're crazy. Like, I think about what an average 11-year-old child would do if they see another child murdering somebody, right? And I just don't know many that would stay and be part of it and actively cover it up, right? Because Nora didn't tell anybody. So if you didn't do it, why... You feel that you can't tell anybody. Now, it's possible that Mary said, if you tell anybody, I'm going to kill you. And she saw her kill Brian Howe. Um, so maybe she didn't tell anybody because she didn't want to get killed. That's possible. But I, I just, I find that, and I've always felt that way about Mary Bell's story. Like, you know, a lot of people get caught up in, and, and it is, you know, terrifying, this 11-year-old child with a steely gaze who just murders without a second thought. But also, 
I've always found it odd that we don't look at Norma more and we don't dig into her. You know, where did she come from? What was her family life like? Yeah. What did that look like? Is she truly weak willed or was she more into it? Was she more of an active player than perhaps was suggested? Because even if, I mean, there have been dual pairs of murderers that have been at it before. I forget. Oh, shit. I can't remember the name of the Moore's murders. can't remember the name of the murderers. But anyway, fuck them. They were terrible. They murdered a bunch of people. It'll come to me like right after we get off. Moore's the murders. Anyway. She was a. Um, fuck. She's she one of blonde. your very few uh, Leo murders. <sighs> actually. Yes. I can't. Anyway. I fuck. That. Everybody is screaming it at us. But anyway, if you know, know that case. About, yeah. You know, she participated in that case and and her defense was that she was the they sort of had that thing going on where he was the really strong personality and she was the weaker willed and she was sort of pulled into his orbit. She was still punished for her crimes. But in this case, Norma's not. Um, and is that correct? Because she's 11 and maybe she just got roped up into some psychopathy or is that maybe questionable? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I agree. I think that if, I don't know, the fact that you were there, you stayed there. I mean, you were there from like when she was pushing that kid off the roof, supposedly, you know, and then initially covered it up and actively covered it up. And then you, you know, tried to, I get, well, she tried to snitch a little bit and tried to put the blame. uh, You know, she actively went and put the blame on Mary initially. Right. So I don't, I don't know. I'm. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Very interesting mm. uh case. But yeah, that is Mary Bell, one of the one of the first and most notorious child murderers. All right. Well, child murderers, folks, there you have it. This week on the Haunted Heart Podcast. Yeah. You know, light topics for cocktail conversations. Yeah. The Haunted Heart Podcast. Light topics for Cocktail conversations. (laughs) Do you need something to talk about as you gather around the water cooler with your masks on? Because COVID safety. (laughs) Consider listening to the Haunted Heart podcast so that you can alienate yourself from all other human beings. That should be our next uh, promo if we ever make a new one. (laughs) (laughs) That's the marketing pitch. Yeah, that's absolutely the marketing pitch. Yep. And we wow. wonder why we don't get sponsors, man. Uh, uh, that's, <laughs> that's the pitch. I mean, it's great. That's Sterling. True. How could you how could you argue with that? I wouldn't argue with it, but uh no, thank you for that. That was uh interesting. I had never heard of that case before. Like you said, it's you know, with me, I don't know a lot of like true crime cases. I don't really get involved with it. So it's interesting to hear about these because it's just I don't know. It's just like I like being like when you sit down with me and then you tell me like, yeah, like you just talking to me versus like mm-hmm. researching it yeah. or like listening to it. So like I like yeah. listening it, to it like everybody listening to this I like podcast listening right to like everybody else listening to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I like us, like we said at the beginning of the show, I'm there with them. No, I love it, though, because it does like it, it is fun to like go over these cases like this with you because it brings like a fresh energy to it. Right. Does it? It does. <laughs> it brings a fresh energy to it. So I I appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks for being Ted my Bundy, co-host. Never heard of him. <laughs> never. Gacy. Never who? Heard of him. who? Who's she? Huh? Who's she? Don't what know is her. Pogo? Is that like a pogo stick? Who's her? I don't know. Who? Oh, pogo. no. 
pogo stick, pogo, <gasps> jumping on it, jumping on the pogo. Yeah, I, yeah, I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. I hate it a lot. Um, do got the it. sign off. I need <laughs> to take a shower now. <laughs> yes. All right, folks. Um, but before we sign off, I did want to, uh, you know, you did mention at the start of the episode that we are going into spooky season. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, what you know about spooky season, boy? Ah, boy. Boy. Goo. Uh, yes. So be on the lookout, folks, because we've got something uh, fun headed your way pretty soon. So uh, just keep a check on those social medias there. Keep got your eyes fun peeled. coming for the spooky Halloween season. But until then, you can check us out on Instagram at The Haunted Heart Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> Twitter at The Haunted Heart and Facebook at The Haunted Heart Podcast. We've got a page there that you can go there and like. We also have a group where if you go and search The Haunted Heart Podcast, you can ask to join. You have to ask. And, you know, that's fine because we will accept just about anybody unless you're Mary Bell. What if we already have Mary Bell? What if we already have her in the group and she's going to be mad? (laughs) She's going to be big mad this week. Yeah. So, I mean, as long as you're not Mary Bell or any other child murderer, I mean, we'll accept you. Or just don't tell us that you are. That's true. And it's private. So, I mean, you know, any of the weird, uh, crazy, creepy, you know, shit that you want to post and that you'll see, it's all for the rest of us here. And you ain't got Mm -hmm. to worry about, you know, your mama, your daddy, your aunts, your uncles, Mm -hmm. all them people, your cousins. Going back and telling, you know, uh, everyone at church on Sunday what they saw you post on your Facebook. You ain't got to worry about that because it's all it's a private little circle here mm-hmm. and it's all good. No judgment. And then, like we said at the uh, top of the episode, if you want to support the show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash the haunted heart. Plenty of tears there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plenty of uh, yeah, tears, there, yeah, tears, tears all around uh, there for you to select from if you wish to support the show. And, you know, even if you don't want to do that, a uh, great way to support the show is to just send us some love. Send us a, an email, a message, uh, DM, slide into them or a leave review. us a Google review. Yeah. We love that. Oh, yeah. Or... As part of Spooky Season, you could be a Spooky Season evangelist and just share the show with your friends. Absolutely. Because that grows our weird little culty family. Definitely. Most yeah. definitely. But I think that's it. I think we uh, swept up, cleaned up, got that's everything it. swiffered up, ready to go. Yeah. Ready to go. And like I said at the start of the episode, we'll see you when. We'll <laughs> see <laughs> no, We will see you guys uh, next week. We are sticking with our Wednesday Wednesday schedule. Yep. So we will see you midweek. And well, I guess we won't see you midweek. Or maybe we will. Maybe we, maybe will. we will see you. But we'll meet you back here at the appointed hour. And until then, remember to stay, stay spooky. spooky.